Welcome to season nine of Interdisciplinary. I'm your host, Corey Rivera, because Heal has perhaps foolishly let me take point for the next 10 or so episodes. This season is sponsored by the wonderful people at ABMP. ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals, is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from Heal Well. Massage therapists and body workers who join ABMP get meaningful resources that make a difference in your career, including free online CE courses, online scheduling included with the ABMP Pocket Suite app, and comprehensive liability insurance that provides protection and peace of mind. Can't get enough podcast inspiration and information? Listen for the ABMP podcast with regular guest hosts Ruth Warner and Allison Denny. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Information and research in preparation for our next symposia, which I'm terribly excited about, mostly because I'm the one arranging it, titled Within Reach, the Quest for Information and Research. It will be coming to you live from your computer in February 2023. Uh, Don't touch that dial. Within Reach is a two-day symposia featuring an audience involved in presentations and at least two planned costumes so far, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, If you don't need more convincing, you can purchase tickets right now at early bird prices at www.heowell.org. Just click on the upcoming events option in the menu. And if you do need some more convincing... I have a host of Heal Well staff members to interrogate slash back me up today. So we have Rebecca Sturgeon, Carrie Jordan, and Laura Bryant-Erner. And now it is the moment you have been desperately waiting for, which I deliberately postponed until after my pitch, the pun, or should I say, puns today. (laughs) So I'm going to go first so no one can take mine. Ready? All right. What do you call a canine with a lot of knowledge? A werewolf. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I love how our seasonal to boot. Yes, and I do love how our responses are in line with our personalities. You know, this is all you need to know about this portion of the Heal Well Brain Trust. Um, well, I guess I'll go next. Okay, so given that we're talking about, you know, information and the care and handling of information this season, I thought I'd, you know, answer a question that is often on people's minds, which is how do you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? How? One will see you later and the other will see you after a while. I also have I also have an actual answer, but that can wait. That sounds like some Patreon content to me. Mm -hmm. Tell heal well. We are about comedy and facts. That's right. (laughs) All right. What is the biggest lie in the entire universe? What? I have read and agreed to the terms and conditions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. That's good. Feel it in my soul. 
I might resemble that remark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it will be no surprise to um, you, my colleagues, and probably you, our listeners, that I'm not like really a people person. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have this neighbor who is always cornering me and like talking to me in the hallway outside my apartment. And it's made like doubly uncomfortable by the fact that he never wears any pants. Um, And, you know, he caught me yesterday and was just telling me pantsless about all the problems in his life and particularly about how his kids are giving him a really hard time. And he's like, oh, my children are always like, dad, you have to put on pants. You're embarrassing the neighbors. You can't go out like that. And, you know, you guys, I just, I'd had enough. So I said to him, look, that's your business. I can clearly see your nuts. And I see where your kids are coming from. Wow. (laughs) It was hidden in a story. (laughs) Oh, it was hidden in a story like a wonderful little gift. Yeah. You're welcome. Yay. And now I have the visual of Carrie staring at a pantsless man in her hallway, desperately trying to open her own door. Three. You got three punchlines for the price of one. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So today we are talking about information specifically. We will talk about research at another later date. Um, And we're not talking so much about books or web pages although this includes all those things, but it's really more the idea of information itself and particularly information as a living thing. Um, One of the things I hope to get everybody thinking about is how not only how information affects you, but how you affect it. I think a lot of times we spend our lives feeling like we're at the mercy of data and facts and whatever else is going on in our lives and we don't feel empowered to change them, but they are changeable um, and it's an active sort of process um, instead of a very static, quiet library one, although I like the quiet library one as well. Um, So my esteemed colleagues, uh, my first question for you is what is your relationship to information? Okay, so I spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? When Corey, who is the most prepared of all of us in podcast world sent us these pre-questions to think about. Um, Until recently, information was, for me, honestly, a thing to be hoarded. Um, And to be hoarded and released when it was at my best advantage. Um, And I've been actively, actively working to flip that on its head and make information um, a, a way to something that you share freely and, you know, without judgment or limit. Um, so, I mean, the, the overarching piece of those two is that information is for me about how, how relationships are built. And it used to be that relationships were built based on power. And as they are now built based more on um, openness, then the way that I relate to information has changed. Um, Yeah, I'll leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk more. 
I think my relationship with information is changeable based on where I am emotionally, physically, how I'm thinking about the world, how I'm thinking about my interactions with other people, kind of tying in with what Rebecca said about relationships. And not, not that I am dismissive of information, but it certainly does affect how I process information and then use it to make critical decisions or to pass on that information. So I think for me, it's always about uh, self-awareness and looking at my relationship with the information itself, where I am in the world, and perhaps, you know, where is that information coming from? As is my want and role, I will provide the cynic. Uh, I, you know, I feel like I was thinking, again, I've been thinking about this question since Corey asked it, and I noticed yesterday, um, for the first time in a long time, I found myself alone in my car for a long enough period of time that I noticed that maybe besides the silence that I enjoy sitting in, <laughs> um, I noticed actually that I used to get in the car and turn on the news, turn on NPR immediately and listen all day long, every day to NPR and to read voraciously um, on the internet and everywhere else that was possible. And I turned on the radio yesterday and I listened for about 30 minutes. And I was so depressed and disheartened. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and I mean, we can say what you will about politics and whatever, but really I was just depressed and disheartened by the fact that it felt like all of the information that happened in that tiny bit of time was new to me. Most most of it was stuff that I, I didn't know about, I hadn't heard about. And that even that, I feel like there was a time when even the acquiring of knowledge that didn't make me happy was a sort of joyful, exciting experience. Um, but it just felt real, it's sort of heavy. It felt like more like taking on a burden than like taking in something that feeds me. And I noticed as I was noticing that, that I have stopped consuming information as voraciously as I once did. And I don't know if that's about being old and tired. I don't know if that is about being in the political kind of climate that we're in now. I don't know if, it, but I also suspect that it has something to do with the cynicism that I developed, the more and more I learned about how information gets twisted um, between creation and delivery to me. So I'm gonna admit that I asked everybody this question and then didn't think about it myself at all. Um, but I would say uh, <clears throat> right at this moment, my relationship with information feels like a combination of mountains and doors. So every time I find a new door, I open it and there are more doors. And I think the opening of doors is a joyous thing for me. And it's like an endless puzzle and I keep putting pieces in and then things make more sense and then I find more pieces. But it's also a mountain because I am always looking for an answer and I don't know that it exists. 
And my search for this answer leads me to all these doors. But that answer is probably on top of a mountain and not behind a door. So there's my absolutely convoluted answer for you all. Um, our second question was, how do you think or feel that information works? So there's a, a cycle of information creation and adaptation and um, new information or old information or looking at old information in new ways. I know all of us at Healwall are very interested in the new new view of old things. Um, so I'm not sure that most people have a sense of like this cycle that information goes through. They think about it like it's in a book and someone publishes it and now there's a book and then you read the book and you gather that information, you stuff it in your head and then you put the book down and then you never look at it again because you hated it now. And it's really more cyclical than that. Um, so I wondered how everybody sort of felt about any kind of information. So it could be the topics that you like, it could be, you know, what shows up in the media, which is just awful. Um, how do you think or feel that information works and functions? So um, as is my style, um, I, I can kind of address this with a story. <laughs> um, so Sunday night, my, my husband did a, a, was part of a panel presentation about the Kentucky State song, which is a horrible, horrible song with a terrible history, and we should stop singing it right now. Um, and that was kind of the, the presentation was by a, a woman who had written the book about the history of the song, and they were talking about um, this really wonderful nuanced conversation about this song that is perfectly structured musically and is awful um, and and is based on a lot of lies and we can do a patreon bonus about that stuff if we want um, <clears throat> um, so it, it, that was like watching that whole presentation and the Q&A that followed to me is like right this is information happening because it started with the person who wrote the book um, who is a lifelong Kentuckian, um, who has a lot of nostalgia for that song, being told by someone she loved that the song was hurtful, which kicked off in her a uh, question of why? Help me understand this. This matters because this person matters. And, you know, kicked off a whole exploration in the sort of traditional way that we think of a gathering information, like academic, she's a historian, right? academic research and writing and whatever interpretation that then became broadcast out in the form of a book and in the form of this presentation. And then at the same time interpreted by the people at the presentation, there were a lot of students there, a lot of high school and college age students, young people, um, whose overall reaction was, why has no one told us this? This is awful. We need to stop this right now no one has told us information, people are lying to us. And the answer is yes and, you know? So that, uh, I, I hope I'm coming back to your question, Corey, because I just got caught up in the story. Um, but that was like a, an entire like spiral of information creation, right? Because I don't see it as a cycle that's on one level, it's a spiral that goes up or down and comes, comes back on itself from a different perspective. Like it starts with this information. There's a song, this song has a factual history that's been obscured or hidden or lied about. 
and and uh, so you bring that to light and then you add to that the emotions that are connected with the song and the people who are taught about the song and are expected to sing it at multiple occasions um and you bring to that like the the feelings of betrayal that that lead to a particular black and white conclusion that's very easy to do when your prefrontal cortex is still being formed. So like the creation of information is about, it's about story, it's about relationship, it's about the status of your brain, like the physiological status of your brain. It's about um, your access to information, right? Like this, the woman who wrote the book, had a, she's an academic historian. She has a certain access to certain information. My husband is a longtime musician. He has access to a different kind of information. You know, somebody on the panel who is a, a poet and an activist, she has ac access to different information and bringing all those together creates an entirely new breed of information and layer the spiral. So that's um, a long answer to a question that I hope is the question that you asked. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll start calling it an information tornado. Right? It, it is kind of like that. Yeah. Well, and I go right to, you know, the widening gyre, the center cannot hold, right? <laughs> yes, we got to we got to bring Yates in here somewhere. So Yates point for us. <laughs> Dork bonus. Dork bonus. I'm, I'm going to find a sound effect for that. Oh, I've noticed that in my own evolution of thinking about information and how it works and how it's produced and I really coming to see information as a commodity as opposed to something that is objective and there is a, a solidity to it and but but seeing information as it is it is something that is hoarded and sold it can be given away it can be manipulated I mean, it, it, you know, you see it everywhere with people creating content, a lot of that, you know, content being supposedly information driven. And you can go down a whole rabbit hole about, is it information or is it just hot air? <laughs> but again, going back to this, it is all, it, it, it is about um, creation, marketing, producing, selling, getting it out there. It's, it's a commodity that is can be used within our marketplace of the world, which gives me some pause. Well, and Corey, I think to your point about how, when you were saying as part of your introduction about like data and facts can be changed, <laughs> um, which I think is a, you know, even, even intellectually knowing that when you said that I had a little visceral, like, oh, kind of reaction. I, I it makes me think of, um, one of you smarty pants will have to get the dork bonus point for remembering the name of this phenomenon, but that, you know, even in research, like the very presence of the researcher affects the research. And that there, we, I think that again, we have this fantasy, particularly maybe when we don't have a fully formed prefrontal cortex, but maybe always in our lives that, that there is a a, a clear, clean information, like that there is somewhere this like warehouse of like capital T truth and that some bad people take the clear, pure information and sully it somehow 
in their delivery or commodification or sales. But I, you know, I think that that's not true. I think that information is in and of itself just um, real chameleon eat <laughs> or like light through a prism, right? And each of us is the prism. So playing off this idea about commodity and information, um, how do you know what to trust when you are receiving new information? And so I, I feel like a lot of massage therapists get the same line all of the time, which is like, you know, .edu is trustworthy, which is not true. .gov is trustworthy, which is sometimes true, depending on who's in charge. Um, you know, you can, uh, you can trust these sources, but you can't trust these sources. YouTube is untrustworthy, which is kind of true. Um, so how do you know what's worth trusting or how do you think about what's worth trusting? Maybe it's always the long game. Um, and how did you sort of come to that, those conclusions, like your way of approaching these things? And I didn't give them time to think about this one, by the way. Well, I mean, clearly, if um, it supports my opinion, it's trustworthy. <laughs> Straight to the heart of the matter, Rebecca that Sturgeon. That is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Confirmation bias. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, the truth is that... It, we do, right, tend to trust more sources that don't make us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And being agreed with is very warm and fuzzy and pleasant. Um, but I mean, in, in, in a real sense, because, you know, I had to write this book that has actual information that people are going to then use in their practice. And for us in that process, and in, in my process is, is this something that I'm only seeing in this place? Or is it confirmed in other places that are not connected to this place, right? Like, for example, there's this, a study that I found on whatever.edu. Can I find similar information far afield of that, like an organization that's not connected to whatever.edu that will confirm the same thing? Um, and there, even with like that and with um, trying to understand what makes a study uh, a reputable study, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in more detail later this season. Um, there is always an element of, does it pass the gut check, which is 100% subjective. But I'm not going to pretend like I'm not doing it. I'm 100% doing it all the time. Well, you know, and it's interesting, I, I'm thinking of the uh, cartoon that we used to use a lot in our um, live classes, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, the Oatmeal made a really great cartoon uh, called You're Not Gonna Like What I'm About to Tell You. Um, that's about <laughs> the backfire response. And I think that one of the things that he talks about very early on in that, that I really, I notice is true in myself is if I don't like the information, I'm more likely to do what you just described, Rebecca, and like, see how can I confirm this? You know, when I like the information, I, I, just, I just read an article about a study 
about, uh, cause I started to wonder if my cats have a lateral bias like humans have, which is, do they have handedness, right? Um, and so I Googled this question and I scrolled through a bunch of blogs and posts by cat owners who were just theorizing about this, in my opinion, <laughs> to an article written by a science journalist that I had heard of before that I thought was reputable for a what I believe is a reputable news outlet. And they were writing about this study in lateral bias in cats. And I noticed as I was reading about the study, about the cats, that I, I want to believe that cats have a lateral bias. And I'm fascinated by this idea. I don't know why I want to, I just do. Uh, and so as the researcher who's being interviewed is sort of upholding what I was expecting to find when I started this Google search, I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds, you know, solidly like research. I like it. And then she started to make reference to one of the things that they discovered in their study is that cats who have a left lateral bias have uh, much higher rates of anxiety. Uh, and she made sort of passing reference to the fact that this is true for humans as well. Thank you for the face that you all just made. What? Right. And so I was like, wait, what? What? Oh. And I just watched inside myself as a left-handed person with profound anxiety, uh, but still not liking that answer, <laughs> um, that I was like, oh, it made a lot of sense when my left-handed cat, because she is high strung, she has some problems. But when it came back, I was like, oh no, that can't be right. This person's a quack. Um, and I did, I, I caught myself starting to Google search. And then I was like, whoa, I have zero invest. Like, what is my investment in this? What does it matter? And then hours later, days later, when I was telling somebody else about the study, I reported all of those things as absolute clear fact known to everybody. Facts, facts. So forever it's, whatever it's worth, I'm, I'm prisming out there like everybody else. Yeah, I think I have to echo what everybody's saying about, you know, you just, you, you do your best. You know, being, being aware that a single source for information is irresponsible at best can be really bad at worst. You know, it's just incumbent on each person to, to do some critical thinking about where you're, you're consuming information from, who you're consuming it from. You know, it hasn't been peer reviewed. Is it just, is it just a theory? Is it, is there some, you know, solid research behind it? And, and, you know, of course we'll talk about like, what, so what is solid research? Define solid research. But all of those things go into making a decision about, yes, I trust this information or something interesting to think about, but not hundred percent sure about it. And then using other information to round out that piece, maybe. Because we're, we don't, you know, we don't live in a, in a silo. I mean, there is, there's a piece of information that's being informed by other pieces of information. So how does that one piece of the puzzle fit into the big picture? Um, 
when I started uh, creating this symposia, um, it was kind of an accident. Um, I said one thing on our forum and Carrie said, why don't you make a conference? And I said, ha, 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 ha. Um, and then it became what it's becoming now. So one of the big sources that I use um, when I'm trying to organize this is a, a document, it's a PDF, it's absolutely free, you can find it anywhere, um, called the Framework for Information Literacy in Higher Education. And it was written by um, the librarians with a capital T and L. Um, there's an acronym, but I can't remember it right now. <clears throat> It'll probably be in the show notes if you check there. Um, I don't expect everybody to read the whole thing. It's actually really concise um, and I super appreciate it. It could have been 400 pages and it's not. Um, it's like 20 maybe. But they break down information in higher education and skills that people need in order to process these things. And one of the ways they break it down is whether you're a novice in this or an expert and what kinds of things can be expected of you and what kinds of things you can expect from yourself. And I appreciate this so much because I think we all have a very big problem with telling people what to do and not telling them how to do it or telling them what the end picture is going to look like and then be like, whatever happens in the middle happens. Good luck to you, sir. Like, and then we just walk away. So the identification of trustworthy sources um, is something that you get better at when you really try. It is also something you will never necessarily be that good at for everybody listening. Um, in the beginning, you depend on what other people tell you. And the deeper you get, I think, particularly in your field, because who knows what you'd know in someone else's field. But the deeper you get in your field, honestly, the better your bullshit meter gets. Um, and you can decide for yourself if what they told you was trustworthy is trustworthy. I think there's an extra challenge in massage therapy because we have a very limited um, set of information that we are working from. Um, we are behind on research as far as comparison to other healthcare. Um, we are working on ourselves a lot. <laughs> Um, and we're different from other healthcare just by the very fact of what we do, even if you just start with the fact that we touch people at all. Um, that makes us very different and it makes it hard to compare information with other sources. Um, so with that in mind, in our little silo of massage therapy world land, where you can almost name everybody at this point, right, who's involved, <laughs> And you know them and you probably met them at a conference and then you kind of decided whether you liked them or not there as well. Um, Carrie didn't like anybody. She just gave thumbs down just so you know. Uh, so my question is um, for all of the people on this lovely panel, um, we all create information and specifically classes. And how do you go about creating that stuff for other people to utilize? Like, what do you consider? What's your process? What's not your process? What are you like? No, I'm not going to do that. So um, that's a really timely question because there was a little Slack exchange about a potential class yesterday that I think really speaks to this about how do we create information and how do we, you know, build classes and build delivery of information for folk. Um, and there's an element of it that I don't think any of us love, but is a reality that is, what does the market want? 
Yeah, that face exactly. We all just made terrible faces. That is, yeah, we we just made the face of people who are not marketers. Don't care if you want it, you need it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and and trying to to dance in that gap between what do people want to pay for and what do we think is important um, and and valuable. Um, Sometimes there's an overlap, and that's very happy, um, but a lot of times there's not. And, and also um, to balance the, what is actually, I don't know that I put it this way in the Slack, but what was, what my concern is, what is actually ethically, um, what's the word, solid for us to offer, particularly in an online format, um, because there's a certain, I think as a, as both a deliverer and a recipient of information, you have a certain responsibility to um, deliver that information, uh, deliver that information in a way that makes it clear um, what is appro- what it is appropriate for the recipient to do with it, right? So if we're talking about something like um, foot massage, just foot rubbing, let's say, if I am, as I do sometimes, talking to a group of caregivers with their loved one, the way I talk about foot massage is totally different than if I'm talking to a group of massage therapists. Um, because what I what is ethical for me to teach people to do or to make them think that they are, they are able to do <laughs> um, is different. Um, and I think it's it's that way for a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to stop there because I just my brain is empty. Well, I think that what you're saying, Rebecca, really makes me think about your point, Corey, about novice versus quote unquote expert, and Tracy Walton's principle about how basically your your what you're what you are able to do and how you are able to sort of improvise <laughs> gets bigger as you have more experience, right? And I think that it's a very challenging thing in instruction, I would say of any kind, but particularly with massage therapy, to draw that line for students because nobody, even people who are brand new, don't want to be novices. And particularly because massage therapy is so often a second or third or fourth career for people. We are not, you know, I think in massage therapy, we make the mistake of imagining that new massage therapists or massage students, quote unquote, are 17, 18, 19 years old. And I don't think, at least in my experience of teaching foundational massage education, that was not what my classroom looked like. And so while these people are novice to massage therapy, they're not novice to the world. And and yet I did have students who were 17, 18 years old who didn't have a fully formed prefrontal cortex <laughs> sitting next to people in their 50s and 60s who had had you know, multitudes of jobs, people who had nursing degrees, people who had been talk therapists. And so I think that we face a particular challenge when we try to do what you're talking about, Rebecca, like to figure out like who, who, 
who can use and integrate this knowledge effectively, shall we say, ethically, <laughs> and who can't. I think that's a really, really hard thing for any teacher in any realm, but particularly in online on-demand education and particularly for online on-demand education in massage therapy. I was just talking about this very uh, issue, Carrie, about, you know, who are you teaching to? And I was talking with one of the heel ball therapists who's in a foundational massage school uh, teaching. And, you know, the school is, is coming at it from the perspective of we have to teach to the lowest common denominator as opposed to, oh, and everybody just made the face. One, two, three, and I'll put myself in there of making the face as well. Roll the eyes and just groan. As opposed to teaching to the highest common denominator and then as an instructor, perhaps, you know, providing that extra support for folks who are struggling or, or just haven't, don't have the skills because of X, Y, or Z to utilize the, the, the new information that we're learning, right? And, you know, it's frustrating when you see that being perpetuated. And I, you know, kind of going back to the previous uh, question, Corey, about, you know, I feel like this is the, you know, two sides of the same coin of, you know, how do you receive information and then how do you reproduce it is honing the skill of playing devil's advocate and putting the, the information that you're either receiving or producing to the smell test and, and to the, <laughs> the, you know, really, really putting it through a, a series of vetting processes almost before then utilizing it and reproducing it. And I think when we do that, um, we can reproduce, we can produce information that then is to the highest standards and is asking the most of everybody. Well, I agree with that, Lauren. I also come back to the, there is a certain point at which the information that you um, release, let's say, and the, the format in which you release it, you have to um, trust that you have done everything you can possibly do to ensure that it's used ethically and then kind of let it go. Right. Um, I was just reminded of this because I just had an email come through. We have a class called Introduction to Trauma-Informed Care that in every way possible, <laughs> um, short of like calling everybody who signs up for this class, we have said, this is an introduction. This is, you are not ready to provide trauma-informed care. This is an introduction. This is information only. But I have no control over that. And that, uh, that continues to bother me and will continue to bother me for as long as I work in this job. One of the things I think about a lot as far as information and knowledge is what's the point of it um, specifically and per scenario, right? Not just like knowledge in general, because I love it so much. I love it. I like to cuddle it. Um, but in the moment, 
what is the point of that information and what is the point of passing that information on? So I recently talked to um, a five-month-old um, massage therapy entry-level class who is doing very basic um, research information things. And at the end of it, I was worried that I had broken them because <laughs> I ask a lot of hard questions, but I, I ask those questions because I want people to think about the next step when they're dealing with information. So um, I asked them, what is it they want to know in research? Do they, do they know what they want to know? Do they have an idea? And the answer that I got, which I was totally expecting was mechanisms. I want to know how massage works. And I said, great, two things. One, in order to understand that data, you're going to need cell biology and probably immunology. So just be ready on that front um, because otherwise you're not going to understand the data that you get. And two, if we understand those things, what does that change in massage? And they all got real quiet and they all really thought about it and it was great. Um, and someone said, uh, we will get more respect in healthcare. And I said, oh. okay, I know, right? Isn't that cute? <laughs> it was so sweet. Um, and th this wasn't the time to like really dig into that, right? I don't want to make them quit. That's not the point. I just want them to think about what's next. Um, so my thought to that was like, would it though? And then like, yes, that is a good idea to go with that. Um, so a lot of this conference is about what's the next step in you and in massage therapy and in where we need to be as a professional group. And one of the things that I think we don't get as massage therapists um, in our education, unless you have gone to a college and thrown away all of your money and hopefully gotten this back, but not necessarily is um, information and how you think about it and how you deal with it. And also um, what's the next step in talking about research. So day one is information, day two is research. Both of them will hopefully take steps forward um, in your understanding of um, how information works and how research works. And hopefully you won't feel um, the goal is to make things accessible and not to gatekeep this information. Um, gatekeeping happens a lot and I certainly do it myself and I don't mean to. Um, but again, I really like information and I like to cuddle it and sometimes I want to keep it to myself. Um, but I try not to. So as far as massage therapy and information, would you all talk about sharing and not keeping? which Rebecca started us with actually originally. So thanks for that. Education department mind meld activated. Boom. <laughs> um, like more and more, I feel like I am, the more years I spend in this profession, the less comfortable I am being uh, seen as knowledgeable in anything, um, which I think is true for many people. I can, there are nods all around, but I think is true for many professions and many people who are thoughtful humans. Um, so I, I think the, the, one of the results of that is that I, as soon as information comes in, I want to send it out. Like this is, it's not, it's for me to deliver. 
this is not for me to keep or hold on to or you know hoard um my uh, my only hesitancy around that and it's a big hesitancy is what i talked about before like am i sending this out in a way that is clear okay so this is what's safe and ethical for you to do with this information um, which also involves I, I am aware me making judgments and assumptions about the people who are consuming the information um, and, and i struggle with that and i also think well that's kind of part of my job i'm an educator that's what i do um yeah so i i I think about this too in terms of when I was a baby massage therapist starting out, right? And I worked at a spa and we would trade with each other. And all the therapists would talk about how they have this thing that they do that's their thing, but they won't do it when they're trading because they don't want somebody to steal it. Come on, y'all. Can we just let go of that? This is it, it, any information, whether it's an information that is something that you do with your body or information that's something that goes into your mind. Um, when it comes out of you is different than when you received it. So, you know, even if, even if Melissa never did her special elbow glute thing, you know, on my body, because I would have stolen it. If I had done it on somebody else, it wouldn't be Melissa's. Come on. <laughs> so that's my rant about that. Qu question. Would yeah. it be Melissa's if she trademarked it? It would be me, it would be my interpretation of lessons. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this mostly because I use all my best moves on other massage therapists. I'm like, I feel like the opposite sort of like hubris was like, yeah, uh-huh. Check this out. Uh-huh. Uh right. Yeah, I, I think it's such an interesting question, Corey, because I think that um, we, another way this kind of comes up within Healwell is that, I mean, I can't even tell you, poor Rebecca and I are the people who get the info at emails when you send an email to info at Healwell. And I can't tell you the number of questions that come in every single day about everything about massage therapy. and you know, we are a business. <laughs> so much as we are all really passionate, um, altruistic people uh, who want to share knowledge, we also, uh, this is sort of how we make a living. And so I feel like it's a, the question of gatekeeping is really interesting to me, Corey, because I feel like we provide consulting and we provide classes and those are things you have to pay for to get. That being said, I mean, everybody sitting here, and as many of you know, also Calcates will tell anybody anything they really want to know <laughs> um, at any time. We're not super good at that part. Um, the, you know, keeping your clothes on. But I think it is an interesting, it, I always feel, and Rebecca, you could tell me if you feel differently, but I always feel a push-pull when I read these emails that like, it's, it's, I want to tell everybody mm -hmm. I I'm interested in sharing my experience and my knowledge um, because it's fun to talk about. And because I do feel like everybody should know, everybody should benefit from whatever. Um, and how do you, how do you do that in the context of, of running an organization that. 
Yeah, no, I agree. But I've also, um, as a person who writes many of the answers to, um, to these e emails, have gotten to the point of like, okay, so I want you to have this information. Um, I'm not going to spoon feed it to you. Because that is one of the ways that I ensure that you're going to use it ethically. Like, do you actually want it? It, it takes a little bit of work. Um, and that's really gatekeepy. And it, it sounds, it, I'm saying it out loud and I'm like, man, that's bitchy. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this organization has to survive. This profession has to grow. And in order to do that, you got to have some skin in the game. Well, before our podcast today, I was making a bet with myself to, you know, is anybody going to use the, the, our favorite phrase, it depends. And of course, I'm going to be that person who uses it today. So there we go. Um, you know, I, I think as far as, as dissemination of information, it depends. You know, what kind of information are we talking about? You know, I was thinking about when I get information that's pertinent to all of the, the heal well therapists. That's information that everybody can use to, to become a tighter team um, and information that's useful for the sites that people work at. And then when we're talking about, you know, protected health information, right? That's a whole different set of information that has certain rules around it. So I think in my mind, it really depends on what kind of information we're talking about, how we're going to put it out in the world so that it can be used ethically, Rebecca. Um, it, it just depends. I will say for myself that I struggle with gatekeeping, not because I'm doing it necessarily on purpose, but because I'm not always willing to go down the entire road it's going to take for me to explain what it is that I'm thinking. So um, my husband and I have this thing we do where we stand around and talk at each other. And sometimes it's him talking at me and sometimes it's me talking at him and everybody and both sides is very patient with the other person um, because it's, <laughs> you know, usually not a thing that we do, but, but they really want to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. And Sometimes I'll, I'll have read a book or an article or something, and I have all of these ideas about it, and I'm trying to coherently put them in any sort of form with a capital at the beginning and a period at the end, and a lot of semicolons in the middle. Um, and I can see his eyes just glaze <laughs> over, and partially because he has no connection to what I'm talking about, and partially because for me to back up and explain all of those things would mean that I would lose the thing that I'm trying to hang on to. Um, and I find that happening a lot. And it's not something that you'll find in our classes for sure, because those are carefully made. But if you ever talk to me personally, it's totally going to happen. Um, and just ask clarifying questions, I guess would be my request. So for gatekeeping in general, if you feel like it's happening to you, ask clarifying questions of people um, and niggle them into the space where they kind of have to let some of that go. Um, I have no more questions for you. I mean, I always have questions, but you know, not at this very second. Does anybody have any last thoughts? 
Well, I was just about to jump in and say, I, I feel like we have all kind of said this in different ways. And because it's Heal Well, we're, we're talking about self-awareness with how we interact with information and how we share that information and how we deal with other people who are using that information. It really begins with what's going on within yourself and then looking outward. And because we're Heal Well, we like to focus on that. Well, I have a, a bit of information to share with listeners because I'm all about the sharing. So I am pleased to announce that this season we are able to offer CEs for the episodes of the podcast. Um, there is a charge for if you want CEs. Obviously, listening is free. Commenting is free. Feedback is free. And we would like all of that. Um, but there is a charge for the, for the CEs, for the processing fee and supporting Healwell's existence. Um, if you are interested in receiving CEs for this episode of the podcast, look for the link in the show notes where you will go and answer a very quick quiz question that is just our confirmation that you did actually listen to the episode and not just read the show notes. Um, and you will get information about how to request and receive your CEs for this episode. You can also always continue these conversations and ask all kinds of clarifying questions of lots of people in the Heal Well community, which is uh, easy to find at community.healwell.org. And we have bonus, bonus, bonus information that is largely silly, but sometimes serious at our Patreon, which People, you can be a Patreon for $1 a month for real. It's a pretty good deal for all sorts of cool, cool stuff. So if you go to patreon.com slash interdisciplinary, you can find all the different levels of Patreonness, and you can become a secret, secret squirrel and uh, get all kinds of good stuff. Okay, so thank you for listening to um, this episode of Interdisciplinary. Please join us next week for more continuing explorations in the world of information, research, and knowledge, and all things that make your brain more brain. Um, you can always email us at podcast at healwell.org. Those emails are read by people and appreciated by people and answered by people and sometimes cats. Um, and next week we'll be back we have many exciting guests this season so thank you very much for listening interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. our theme music is by harry pickens new episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.